this week we're going to be looking at Psalm 2. Well, last week we said uh, Psalm, Psalms 1 and 2 are like the front page uh, of uh, the book of Psalms. They, they give us uh, the most important information. Uh, they, they tell us what we, what we need to know, what is uh, most essential. Uh, and Psalm 1, uh, I guess, directed us to uh, think through and to evaluate where we are headed. Uh, what direction uh, are we going as individuals? Uh, as Psalm 1 closes with, uh, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And there's two destinies that are laid out uh, there for us in Psalm 1. And then Psalm 2 uh, tells us where where history is headed. So we need to think through and evaluate where we are headed as individuals, and then also uh, we need to understand uh, where uh, where all of human history is uh, directed uh, and what it is moving towards. And that is what Psalm two uh, is about. And uh, let's let's read the whole. Uh, well, you know, what, let's let's we'll take it in pieces. This is this uh, Psalm is pretty amazing. You can. Uh, you can treat it uh, as a, a literary masterpiece. Uh, there, there's 12 verses, which divides neatly into into four scenes. So we can uh, kind of use our imaginations a little bit this morning and and treat this like uh, an, an unfolding drama. Uh, we have a stage behind us, and we can uh, imagine that kind of I'm, I'm the narrator, and, and the, the psalm writer is the narrator for what is happening uh, on on the stage. And uh, in scene one of this uh, divine drama. Uh, we're going to see the raging of the nations, uh, and this is what was quoted in uh, in Acts chapter four, as we read this morning. The, the psalmist writes, or as David writes, uh, "Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart.'" And cast away their cords from us. So, in, in scene one of our of our drama, the narrator comes out onto the stage, and uh, we kind of see this this scene that he's beginning to comment on. And he asks a question, uh, and you can kind of, I guess, on the face of this narrator, you can uh, imagine bewilderment. Why, why is this taking place? Why is this happening? Uh, that, that the he uses four four terms: the nations, the peoples, the kings, the rulers. Uh, why, why are they doing this? And what it is that they're doing is, it says that they are, they are uh, in a rage, or they are noisily gathering together, uh, and they are plotting. Uh, and the, the idea of plotting there is the same word for, for meditate uh, in uh, chapter, or Psalm 1, uh, verse 3, or I'm sorry, verse 2. Uh, the, the, the righteous man meditates upon the word of God, but... Uh, but here we see that the peoples of the earth aren't meditating on the word of God. They're meditating on how they can overthrow God, on how they can uh, rebel against him. Uh, additionally, we see that they are they're setting themselves against the Lord. They are taking counsel uh, together. And that word for, for counsel, if you like a, cons- a good conspiracy theory, uh, then you have one. Uh, the, the, the world is conspiring uh, together against God. Uh, it says against the Lord and against his his anointed, which is uh, the Messiah. Uh, they are conspiring uh, against God to, to, uh, to rebel against him, to uh, what we see in verse 3, uh, to break the bonds that they perceive to be upon them. He says, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. 
see, verse 3 uh, explains the, the heart motive. So we see on, the, on this stage, in the middle of this drama, uh, we see the narrator saying, why is this taking place? And the nations are, are in rebellion against God. And then we, we see what their desire is. And that's, and that's verse 3. Uh, they, want to, they want to break uh, these perceived bonds uh, of God. They say, hey, God, God is holding us back. Uh, God has chained us up uh, and bound us uh, and is holding us back from what we deserve. And their heart's desire is to, is to cast those aside, to cut those off. Uh, and they, in order to do that, they want to rebel against God. Uh, and we see this, uh, this is, again, sets the stage for all of history. We saw this begin in the Garden of Eden. Uh, where Adam and Eve, even though they were set in paradise and said, hey, you can eat anything you want except for this one tree, what did they choose to do? Uh, they, they wanted to not be bound, not be limited in, in what they uh, could pursue, and Satan uh, tempted them in that way so that they would take of the fruit, that they would, uh, so it felt like God was holding something back from them. Hey, uh, you won't die if you eat that uh, eat that fruit. Uh, you'll, you'll be wise. You'll know good and evil, and you will be able to, uh, to be like God. And that is the, the desire of all mankind here. That's what we see within our own hearts. Uh, we see a desire to, to be God. We don't like to submit to God. We ourselves want to be God. Uh, and that is the story of human history. We, we see it begin in the garden and then as we read in Acts chapter 4 today, that the pinnacle of man's rebellion against God is seen uh, in the crucifixion uh, of, of Christ. Uh, in, in the, as we talked about it with uh, the youth ministry on, on Wednesday, when, they, when the hero king comes, the, this savior who has been promised for uh, in, all throughout the Old Testament, when he finally comes onto the scene uh, and Israel should have welcomed him, they should have uh, greeted him with open arms as the one that they were looking for and waiting for, they said, hey, you know what, we don't really want you. Uh, we want you, certain things you can do for us, but we don't want you. And they killed their king who had come to, to save them. Uh, and, and those are the, the verses that, that Peter quotes. They say, hey, look, the, the nations are, are raging. They have set themselves up and killed your anointed one. Uh, and so, so we have, a, in, in any drama, we have a, a problem that needs to be solved. Right? Any good uh, story? You ever see a movie where nothing ever goes wrong? No, it, there's no story to that. You're like, okay, that's, there's, there's no drama that needs to be solved. So uh, as we see scene one here of Psalm 2, uh, th- there's a problem that needs to be fixed. Uh, and that problem is, how is God going to handle this? His, his creation is rebelling against him. What is he going to do? What, what's going to happen? And uh, and, and with that, our, our scene shifts from, uh, from earth to heaven uh, in the next three verses uh, where we're going to see the, the response or the rebuke uh, of God, the rebuke of Yahweh. Look with me at verses 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, interestingly enough, uh, if, 
if, if it were a human who, who was faced with uh, a rebellion, if it was a human king uh, whose subjects were, were rebelling against him, you might be able to envision his throne room that he might be pacing back and forth nervously, uh, you know, going to his counselors, what's going to happen, what should we do, how should we respond to this, uh, kind of wringing his hands, you know, all of this. But, but what's God doing in the throne room of heaven? He, he's, he's sitting down. He's not worried about this. He's not anxious uh, he's not concerned with uh, the rebellion of uh, the, his creation, of, of his people, because there's no way that they're going to, to succeed. Going back to, to verse 1, uh, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? No, it, it's empty. It's not going to go anywhere. And God knows that and understands that. It's like uh, if, a, if a little kid had, had an ant farm. Uh, and somehow the, the ants decided to rebel, or there was a crack in uh, in the the ant farm where they could uh, escape. You know what might happen is is that that kid might uh, initially be patient with the ants, and you know kind of, oh there was an ant that escaped, let me put one back in. Uh, but if they continued to get out, and more and more of them got out, what's the, what's the kid going to do? Eventually going to just take the ant farm and throw it into the trash. Uh, and, and that's the reality. Do the ants have any chance of succeeding against their, their owner? No, there's no way, and that's what this is. This is an ant farm rebellion uh, in, in reality concerning uh, the people's rebellion against their creator. Now, the Lord sits in the heavens and laughs. Uh, and the ESV says the Lord holds them in derision. I think the NASB says he scoffs at them. You know, this, is, this is the only time we see the Lord laughing uh, or, or scoffing, and it's, it's at the, his people's rebellion against him. But, but then his, his laughter doesn't last very long, right? He, he's kind of laughing at first, and it's, it's not a, uh, a hilarity to it, but it's, a, it's a, a scoffing laughter. It's, hey, what are you guys thinking? Uh, and, and then that laughter then turns to, to anger. It says, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. See, in, in verse 5, that, that laughter turns to, to anger, and the reason that he, he, he's becoming angry is because he, he's laying out what, is, what he has already established. He says, you're rebelling against me, but I, already have, uh, I have already established my king. Uh, he says, I have established my king in Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. I have established my king in Jerusalem, my holy hill. Uh, and what's interesting is God speaks here as if this has already taken place, right? Is there a king in Jerusalem right now? No, there's no, there's no king sitting in Jerusalem. Uh, so what, he, what he's doing is, is he's laying out how sure this is. So even though it hasn't taken place yet, God is speaking as if it is already, uh, I guess, in the past rather than in the future. He has set his king, and his king is none other than the anointed of verse 2, the one that uh, the peoples are raging against and fighting against, uh, that they, they want to break the bonds of, of God and of, of his chosen king. But God says, hey, you, you can't rebel against me. My king's already established. My king is already in place. Uh, so it's pointless to, to rebel against him. He's already been installed. And, and so we, we see... Uh, the rebellion on earth, we see, we see laughter uh, in, in heaven, uh, and then laughter turning to, to anger because God's not 
not overly concerned with this in terms of the success of it, but he is angered by the people's rebellion against him because to rebel against our Creator is sinful. To, to rebel against our Creator isn't a laughing matter. It's, uh, it's, it's funny to him and, uh, because it, it's totally in vain. Uh, and it's never going to come to fruition, but uh, it is not going to be uh, funny to those in rebellion against him. Uh, and uh, as, our, as our scenes march along here, we, we've seen what's happening on earth, we've seen what happens uh, in heaven, uh, and now it's like we, we're shifting, uh, we're, we're still in the heaven, uh, but now suddenly off to the side we see another figure that our eye wasn't necessarily drawn to. Uh, we're still in heaven, but in the corner there's this other figure uh, now on the stage, and that takes us to, to scene three in verses seven through nine, the retaliation of the sun. And now this is, this is that character uh, over in the corner who's now suddenly speaking in verses seven through nine. He says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So now suddenly the, the, the king is speaking now. Uh, the, the king that has been established, the anointed one of God, is now speaking uh, of what God has told him. He says, I will tell of the decree uh, and it, that word for decree is, uh, points to the, a royal law. And uh, in old uh, ancient Near Eastern monarchies, what the king said was final, uh, and it cannot be changed. You see that in the book of Esther. Uh, when, when the king made a decree, uh, you couldn't jump through any hoops uh, to change that. The same thing in Daniel. Uh, so once it was stated, it was unchanging. And this is what uh, is the royal law. This is the decree that God the Father has proclaimed. And God the Son is speaking it now. He says, The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Uh, speaking of the special relationship that uh, exists between the, the first two members of the Trinity, uh, and the Son inherits from the Father. He says, Today I have begotten you. And that's not in any way saying that Jesus was a created being, but again, it points to the unique relationship of God the Father with God the Son. And what does God promise him? He promises him, he says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron, his royal scepter, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. For, for years I oversaw a summer, summer day camp. And one of the, the favorite activities of the kids is when I would climb up onto a roof of one of the buildings with a watermelon. Uh, and I would uh, have the kids mark out uh, you know, where they thought the, the largest piece of watermelon was going to land because I was going to throw the watermelon off of the roof. And so they would be out there running around with tape. It's going to go this far and it's going to be over here. Uh, and I would go up onto the roof and, and I would throw the watermelon up into the air as best as I could without falling off of the, uh, the roof. Uh, and uh, it, would, it would come down. I remember the first time I threw the watermelon off of the roof because uh, we did it multiple summers. It, it was amazing because you, I'm used to things as they, uh, as they you know, fall from a height, uh, they bounce, right? Uh, and, and they just, you know, there's a little bit of give to it. Uh, but, but the watermelon, it, it didn't bounce. <laughs> uh, I, I threw it, and it just literally, it hit, and it just exploded outwards. Uh, and 
uh, I jokingly said, you know, from the rooftop on one of those occasions, I said, okay, guys, now put it back together. And the kids just looked at me like, what? Uh, uh, be, because once, once that watermelon hits the ground and, and it's shattered to pieces, there's no, there's no putting it back together. Uh, there's no trying to get it all back inside and then glue it. Uh, this, this shattering and, and kind of what is pictured here uh, is, is final. Now, if you, if you hold your, your, your finger there in Psalms and, and turn to the end of the Bible in Revelation 19, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. And what's amazing about Psalm 2 is that, in essence, it, it encompasses all of human history. Uh, it encompasses uh, the story of the Bible, that man has rebelled against God. And now what is God going to do? If you look at me in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, States, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, and that, that is what is pictured here in, in Psalm 2, is Christ coming to judge the nations uh, that have been promised to him. God here is saying, hey, son, I've given you the earth. I've given you the world as your inheritance. That, that is what you will receive. And uh, it's going to be the role of Christ to, to bring judgment upon the, those who have rebelled against God. Uh, and that's where in this in this scene uh, previously we had what was the what was the issue that needed to be resolved? It was how is God going to how is God going to respond? How is He going to handle these people, His creation, who is in rebellion against Him? But in this scene, uh, there's a, a twist in the plot. So you see, now uh, the question is not how how is God able to handle this rebellion, but it is how can these people stand against an Almighty God? How can they flee from a sovereign creator that they have decided to to throw uh, the yoke uh, that he has placed upon them? They want to rebel against the one that they cannot rebel against. Uh, it's going to be unsuccessful. And now the question is, how how are they going to survive? How is this possible? Yeah, and And that presents a serious problem, doesn't it? Uh, because they don't realize the danger that they are in. Uh, they, they don't see and understand the extent and the seriousness of their rebellion. And so now that our, our scene then shifts again from, from the earth to, to heaven to back down to, to the narrator and uh, the, the rulers and the kings on earth. Uh, and in the last four, three verses of uh, this psalm, the, the narrator is going to make an appeal to the peoples who are in rebellion against God, a, a rebellion that's not going to be successful, a rebellion that is in vain and has no chance of 
success. And this is what he says, like the narrator coming back out onto this, the stage to address his audience. He says, now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. And you notice that this narrator, he issues kind of a series of five instructions to, uh, to the kings and rulers that were again mentioned as the rebels in uh, verses 1 and 2. First he says, be wise, or literally show discernment. Uh, and whenever uh, he wants them to, to think deeply uh, about what they have seen and what they have heard, what's been presented to them. Uh, and whenever I, I, uh, I guess, imagine in my brain somebody thinking deeply, I think of a certain statue. Uh, you might uh, know which one I'm talking about by uh, uh, Rodin. Uh, it's called The Thinker, right? And uh, it has the, uh, the man who, who's sitting, yeah, and he has uh, his, his right arm uh, tucked under his chin, uh, and his right elbow is resting on his left knee. Uh, and it's just such a, a picture of somebody who is deep in thought. Uh, who, who's weighing what has been presented to him, who, who's contemplating uh, all of the details and taking it in. Uh, and that is what the narrator is calling these kings to do, the rulers, the peoples, which is everybody, to, to understand, show discernment, think deeply about what you have heard here. He says, be wise. And then secondly, he says, be warned. Right? They've, they've heard of the coming judgment. They've heard of the, uh, this king, this uh, son, this anointed one who has been established by God and who uh, has been given the world as his inheritance. And he will execute judgment uh, as we saw in Revelation, as we see here. He says, be wise, be warned. And then the response of, of what he is calling them to, in, instead of rebelling against God, what, what should they do? They should Serve the Lord with, with fear, with, with reverence, understanding who God is and who, what his rightful place is as their creator, as their God. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now, rejoice because uh, there can be hope, as we're going to see in, in the fifth one, but also there's a trembling that needs to take place when, when the creature understands the difference between himself and his creator. Uh, and that's what God is calling us to understand here. Be wise, be warned, serve the Lord, rejoice with trembling. And then finally, kind of something that would be uh, not usually spoken in our day and age, but he says, kiss the sun or pay homage to the sun. And that was a, uh, a sign of submission. Uh, and, and so in essence, what did the peoples want to do? They wanted to rebel against God and his anointed one because they didn't want to submit. He says, hey, we don't want uh, your cords. We don't want your fetters. We don't want the chains that you, that you seem to be binding us with and telling us what we can do and what we cannot do. We don't want that. We want to be rulers to ourselves. But here, what, at the end of this, what is the narrator calling them to do? Not to pursue that, but actually to go back and, and, and submit. Submit to the Son. Pay homage to Him. Uh, kiss the Son. And then he gives two reasons why they should do that. Number one, there's danger, and then secondly, there's delight. And first, he begins with the danger. Pay homage to the son, kiss the son, lest he be angry. And the, the connection is if, 
if, if the son becomes angry with you, what, what's the next statement? You will perish. <laughs> you, you will perish in the way. Uh, there's no, no hope for you if the anger of the son comes upon you. And there's an urgency to this because uh, is, it, is it like a, a slow burning uh, fire that, that starts up? What does he say? No, his wrath is, is quickly kindled. There is an urgency to this uh, message and the, the danger is real. And the narrator lays that out. He says, hey, there is, there is danger if you don't pay homage to or kiss the son. But then, uh, not only does he lay out the, the danger of it, but then he, he turns to, hey, there is also a delight in submitting to the son. There is a delight in, in paying homage to and submitting to Jesus Christ, uh, the anointed one of God. He says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. The idea of, of seeking shelter uh, or uh, finding protection in him uh, rather than uh, trying to find it in something else. That, that is what the narrator is, is saying here. Uh, instead of running away from him uh, because he's the one who's going to execute judgment, you should run to him and find shelter in him. And, and that's an amazing message. Uh, it, it's something that should, should again, strike strike a note of sobriety in our hearts uh, if, if we haven't turned to the Son, but also it should give us hope if we have turned to him, just like we saw in Acts 4. Because those in Acts 4 were saying, Lord, look, the, what, what you wrote down so long ago is actually taking place. The people are in rebellion against you, uh, and they have uh, tried to, to kill your Holy One. They have rebelled against him, but you're still working. You are still active and, and saving and healing uh, and glorifying your name in this world. And, and all of that is possible actually because of uh, the, the son, because of the king. You see, the, the anointed one of, of verse 2, the, the king of verse 6, uh, and the son spoken of in verses 7 and 12 are all references to Christ. And think of this, the one who is being rebelled against, the, the one who uh, has been established as, as king, uh, and it's sure, uh, he is the one who came uh, to make refuge possible. He is the one who came and gave his, his life. Uh, he, he lived the perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of those who are rebelling against him. Isn't that a, a, amazing? Uh, he is the one that is being rebelled against, and yet he is the one who is also willing to go and save his people. He is the one who has created the refuge, and the refuge is found in him because sins have been paid for. Because his blood has been shed and now we are called to, to turn from our sin, to turn from our desires to, to rebel against God and instead to, to submit to our creator who, who loves us, who's given us life and breath and everything. We are to seek shelter in him. And the reality is if we try and continue in our rebellion, it's not going to be a very long battle. It's not going to be a long war. Uh, the actually the, the shortest war uh, in world history is the Anglo-Zanzibar War. It was fought between uh, the English Empire uh, and the Zanzibar Sultanate. It's a Zanzibar is a tiny island off the eastern coast of Africa, uh, and at that time uh, the island was under the uh, the power and protection of the English Empire. Uh, thus, the empire had the final say concerning who uh, who was the leader of that uh, island and. Uh, when uh, the sultan 
passed away on August 25th of 1896, uh, another man assumed the position. Uh, and since he didn't get the permission of the English Empire to assume that position, uh, this was perceived to be an act of rebellion. Uh, he said, hey, I'm just going to be the leader. And the, the English Empire is like, well, we didn't say you could do that. Uh, and so it was understood to be an act of war. And so the English Empire issued an ultimatum uh, to uh, the sultan who had just uh, usurped power. And the ultimatum was uh, that he needed to stand down and leave the palace by 9 p.m. on August 27th, so two days after this, the original sultan had died. And instead of uh, leaving, he decided to, to barricade himself inside the palace. So there with, with 2,800 soldiers, uh, he, he wanted to fight things out. And so at 9 p.m. when the ultimatum expired, there were uh, several uh, British cruisers in the harbor who opened fire uh, upon the, you know, this little island nation uh, and just completely decimated it. Uh, and so the war lasted all of 40 minutes. Uh, and uh, of the 2,800 uh, soldiers uh, that uh, the, the sultan had, uh, 500 of them were either killed or wounded, and the English uh, forces won the war. Uh, with with one British soldier uh, getting injured. And you're like, how did that happen? Uh, but uh, shortest war in history, 40 minutes long. Now, that, that's about how long and how successful our rebellion will be against God. It, it, we have no chance of rebelling against him. And as one pastor has said, there there is no refuge from him. There is only refuge in him. Now, instead of rebelling against God, we need to run to him to be forgiven, to be uh, re- to receive new life, to receive eternal life because of what his son has uh, accomplished and done for us. And as we're, as we're working through the Psalms, we're reading this in our growth groups, uh, and also uh, why I've, I've chosen the Psalms that I have over the next few weeks. Last week, uh, we, we talked about the, the word, and that was one of our values. And this week, it's, it's worship. And what's presented in this psalm is that we are called to worship uh, God's chosen king, God's son, God's anointed one, Jesus Christ, who has paid the penalty for our sins, died on the cross. And now in response to what he has done, we are called to worship him. Uh, He is the one that we are to pay homage to and to be in submission to. And we want to do that as as individuals here at Ambassador, and we want to do that corporately. Uh, as a church, united, coming uh, and paying homage to Christ our Savior. And everything that we, that we do wants to be focused upon that. We want to exalt him. We don't want to, to exalt man. We don't want to exalt ourselves. We don't want to in any way, shape, or form uh, say, hey, we want to cast aside uh, your bonds and your fetters. And any restraints that the Lord has uh, put on us in his word, we want to obey. We want to submit to because ultimately we know that what God has commanded is best. What God has commanded in love is what is best for us. Uh, and so this, th- this call of what we want to, to do is, is at the heart of our, of our ministry. We want to, to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, uh, and above all, to, to exalt Christ. Uh, if, uh, I think we, I mentioned last week, of if we were to, you know, to, to get together on September 17th for our, for our launch service, and everything goes smoothly. Uh, every, everything is great. Uh, the the greeting, uh, greeters go well. Parking is no, not an issue. Our signs have let the community know that we are here. Uh, you know, the music is great. The, the sermon is, 
is presented, but my message misses the mark. What happens? Was that a successful launch? No, because we don't just come here. The point of our gathering together isn't just uh, coming to uh, to have uh, fellowship or to coming to uh, just to get together and to see how your week was. Uh, and coming together on a weekly basis, especially at this Sunday morning gathering, our goal is to to worship Christ, to to exalt Him, to lift Him up. Uh, and to proclaim who he is and what he has done. Uh, that, that is our goal, is to, on Sunday mornings, pay homage to the Son. Uh, that's what we have been called to do. Uh, and I, I, I long for that to be our heart each and every week as individuals of when we come here. Yes, we can look forward to, to seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we can look forward to, uh, to singing. That's a part of the worship, but we... We want to come with hearts that are focused upon exalting Christ in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, uh, just as this psalmist wants us to, to think about, to show discernment on, to be, to be wise and to be warned, and ultimately to love Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, we... We come to you praising you. You are the anointed one of God. You are his chosen king. You are the son of God who is equal with God, who came and lived a perfect life and then willingly gave your life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. You are the one with authority to judge and you are the one who will judge the earth. It is your inheritance Lord, and when that time comes, we want, to, we want to find refuge in you because we know that there is no safety apart from you. There is no where we can run to escape uh, the judgment for our rebellion. We can only instead run to you, asking for mercy, asking in faith for you to forgive us because of what you yourself have done. Lord Jesus, we long to to worship you and to exalt your name because that is what God desires. We long to exalt you because of who you are and what you have done, the lamb who has been slain for our salvation. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and now we sing to glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name.